Hello, I'm Party Parslow. Welcome to episode 18 of Party in China, sometimes known as episode 3 of Party in the Special Autonomous Region of China known as Hong Kong. Trips off your tongue, right? On Sunday morning around 8, I awoke in my circular, no longer vibrating bed. I don't remember turning it off, so it either had a timer or I'd broken it. With no buzzing mattress, no windows to let in the sounds of the city, and no surrounding symphony of sex noises, it was unnervingly quiet, so I disobeyed the managerial crone and turned on the widescreen TV to check the news headlines. All I checked were half a dozen channels of Chinese porn, and I didn't need to add video to all the audio I'd had the night before, thank you very much. Cursed myself when I remembered how much I'd paid to stay in that seedy dump, but then made myself feel a bit better by cursing the anecdote gene instead. If you've only just joined us or have short-term memory problems, back at the beginning of this odyssey, I explained that despite a complete lack of scientific evidence, I believe I have the anecdote gene, an inherited tendency to make decisions based on which choice is most likely to result in a funny story. It's an unconscious process, I only recognise it in hindsight. Just like when a girlfriend is suddenly nicer to you than usual. You enjoy the attention, unaware that you're actually in a load of trouble. Speaking of girlfriends, I've had a few, and here's what I've learnt. Men never know the real reason why a woman fancies them. Whatever you think it is, it's not that. And when a woman fancies you, she wants you to like her, so she starts acting like the sort of woman she thinks you would fancy. She acts like that woman for weeks, maybe months, and then one day gets tired of pretending and angry at you because you like another woman more than her, the other woman being the one that she's been pretending to be. But ladies, he doesn't prefer that woman over you. He can't. He's never met you. I think there are only two ways to have a successful long-term relationship. An arranged marriage, or for both people to be completely honest right from the start. I said I think because I've never been in either of those situations. The best thing in that squalid screwing salon was the bathroom. The shower cubicle was huge, with handholds and railings set into the walls where somebody had imagined they'd be the most useful for amorous aquatic exploits. But it was the shower itself that I loved, scalding hot and strong. Now the money seemed well spent. It was my best shower for years. I can't actually remember a better one. Not when I was alone, anyway. And just when I thought I must have used up all the hot water in Hong Kong, I discovered the shower head had a massage setting and enjoyed another 15 delightful minutes of pulsating pleasure. I suppose a business like that needs a lot of hot water, if only to wash away the shame. Afterwards, however, my dissatisfaction returned, so I tried to defray the outrageous cost by stealing everything portable in the room. I nicked the shampoos, soaps, conditioners, tissues, Lipton yellow label tea bags, the preferred tea bags of adulterers, a comb, some shower caps, face cloths, the only remaining dry towel, even the tiny slippers, which could never fit me, but they made handy bookmarks. I considered but rejected the ashtray, yet took the single condom, even though I had no foreseeable use for either one. I find condoms to be horrible things. 
probably because of all the embarrassing incidents I associate with them, starting with the first time I bought some at the age of 17. The young woman behind the counter gave me a knowing look as I stammered out, uh, 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 one, one pack of condoms, please. And she asked, what size? Well, I didn't even know they came in sizes, but I just went with what my more experienced girlfriend had assured me. Uh, <clears throat> uh, large. I meant, she said with a sneer, do you want a packet of three or a packet of twelve? As a petty thief, I should have made a stealthy getaway from the bonking chamber, but my exit was blocked by the crone and her assistant hag, polishing the brass above and around the front door. The kneeling hag mustn't have been apprised of the presence of a guaylo giant because she screamed in alarm as I came up behind her, causing the crone to fall off the small stool she was standing on to reach the top of the door. Seeing her sprawled on the lobby tiles reignited the feeling that the money was well spent after all. But she was soon on her feet and spouting raucous abuse, so I scarpered. The night before, when trying the places recommended by Sonny's, I'd been turned away from one guest house by a middle-aged Chinese woman in a tatty dressing gown and curlers in her hair. She'd neither paused in folding her laundry nor removed the cigarette hanging out of the corner of her mouth as she said in a broad Aussie accent, You're out of luck, love. I liked her, so went back there first, but instead found a rude male proprietor who ungraciously allowed me to book a room and told me to come back at noon, then looked outraged when I asked if I could leave my backpack there until then. As I stood in the doorway, he took my bag down the hall and banged on a door. Two Filipinas answered, and he shouted at them that the room would be mine once they left and that they had to mind my luggage. Free of that burden and reasonably sure I'd never see any of my newly stolen belongings again, I headed out to look for clothes suitable for a faff. That's F-A-F, short for fat-assed foreigner. Ten minutes or so walk north along Nathan Road, markets abound in the side streets of Mong Kok, selling everything from pets to purses, luggage to licorice. Far Yuen Street is particularly good for clothes, but not particularly good for clothes for faffs, or bibs, big Irish buffets. Most people in Hong Kong have some English and many speak excellently, but I thought the phrase the stallholders kept repeating must be in Cantonese. At first it sounded like they were saying, Nosferatu, and I wondered why my query about extra-large trousers was answered with the name of an ancient vampire. More attentive listening determined they were saying something like, Nosferatu, and after a while I realised it was... Not for fit you. Charming. Eventually, I found a lady both wearing and selling camouflage clothing. If she'd been in front of a park, I'd never have seen her. Her largest size was a bit tight for me, but I figured I'd continue to lose weight on the school cafeteria diet and that they'd fit me in a month or two. I also found a strange set of trousers which were like a tracksuit on the inside and wet weather gear on the outside. I thought they'd come in handy for my intended trip trekking in the Himalayas. Of course, I never went to Tibet, so I never wore them. Every school holidays, I tried to arrange a trip from Chengdu to nearby Tibet. Well, it's not really nearby, but close enough for a week, say. And every school holidays, it didn't happen. 
Fair enough, in midwinter the weather prevents it, but most of the time it was bureaucracy that stopped me. You could only travel in a group of at least six foreigners, then next time it was at least ten, later on twelve. You also needed at least three people to travel on the same nation's passport. Why was never explained to me. But I was later told that it had changed again, and now everyone on the same bus had to be from the same country. I don't think there were 12 Aussies in all of Sichuan. Whether the travel agents didn't know what they were talking about or the government just kept making it harder because of the civil unrest, all I know is that I never got to see Tibet. When I used to do stand-up, I had a joke about the Dalai Lama being in exile. I claimed that I'd met him one day and he was really cranky because he'd gotten up on the wrong side of Tibet that morning. And that, right there, that's why I don't do stand-up anymore. I spent a couple of hours in Mongkok markets and eventually found several pairs of trousers that I actually liked and that actually fit. They were boring colours, lots of pockets and with elastic waistbands for any weight loss or gain. I couldn't find any suitable shirts though. Returning to the guest house, I handed over 560 Hong Kong dollars, that's about $80 Australian, for a two-night stay and was shown to my cell. Now that's not hyperbole. I'm sure some prisoners have much better accommodation. When you walked into the, oh, let's call it a room, you stood in an empty square of floor with a bathroom on your left and a bed on your right. To shut the door, I had to step into the bathroom which seems too grand a title for a sink, toilet and water heater crammed into a cupboard. To shower, I had to straddle the toilet bowl. There was just nowhere else to stand. Again, there was no window, but this time, no air conditioning. Just a small fan on the wall above the bed. The mattress was on a hip-high shelf, which took up the rest of the space. There was no room for a chair, so I sat on the bed with my back against one wall and my feet flat against the other. The whole place was as wide as my leg is long. Depressing? Yes. But I reasoned that I'd only be sleeping there changed into a pair of my new pants, which the label described as inconsistently scarred to preserve, and headed out. Around the corner from Mirador Mansions, I saw a pub I'd somehow missed the night before. It was called the Red Lion, and two old ladies sitting on stools in the doorway pounced upon me, squawking English but too quickly to be understood, taking an arm each and urging me through the door and down a short flight of stairs into an English-themed bar. Lots of wood, a portrait of the Queen, paintings of fox hunts. However, there was one jarring aspect that you don't normally find in an English pub. Half a dozen half-naked Chinese prostitutes. They were waiting for customers, but it was too early, too tacky, and I was far too sober for anything like that. I turned and tried to fight my way out of the Harridan's cold clutches, but they only released me when I promised to come back later. And they gave me their business card, as if I was likely to forget that joint. Most people need a reason to drink. A birthday, the weekend, New Year's Eve. I need a reason not to. I'm working. I'm driving. I'm asleep. And that day, I couldn't think up a single reason not to go cruising for a boozin'. So decided on an afternoon of random pub crawling under the guise of looking for shirts big enough to fit me. 
After all, who better to direct you to an appropriate menswear proprietor than a barmaid with extensive local knowledge? And it would be discourteous to take advantage of her local knowledge without purchasing a drink. Or two. The day progressed as you'd expect, and towards evening I was happily meandering in the general direction of my cell with three brand new allegedly polo business shirts in a plastic bag. Not really my style, and I couldn't button the collars, but big bull-necked beggars can't be choosers, so I was now keeping an eye out for a pair of jeans. And just past an intersection a block or so west of Nathan Road, I found a street stall full of denim. With no real hope of finding any clothing vast enough, I approached the dozing old man who also appeared to be made from denim. He awoke, measured my considerable girth with a tape, considered, nodded, and disappeared into the building behind the stall. As I waited on the footpath, I heard, Hello, big boy. The doorway to my left had stairs leading above the shop. A young woman in a negligee had called me a big boy and was beckoning me to come to her. I swear my brain was not involved as my feet started moving in her direction, but then she turned and sprinted up the steps, out of sight. I stopped, confused. Was it a game? Was I supposed to chase her? Then a couple of policemen walked by on patrol. Aha! She reappeared as soon as the cops had disappeared. Not beautiful, but very attractive, with a terrific smile, and there was something playful and sensual about her. How much? I asked. Two hundred dollar? Very reasonable, I thought, about thirty-five Australian. Ah, but hang on. Hong Kong dollars? Of course. Very reasonable, I thought. Until she started tickling and teasing her barely covered nipples, which was when I stopped thinking altogether. Two hundred Hong Kong dollars. The old man was back with my jeans. Two hundred, I repeated. They both nodded. I looked from the woman to the jeans, to the woman, to the jeans. I bought the jeans. In the next episode, I finally apply for my Z visa to become a legal teacher at last. But do I get it? Has Sonny's done the paperwork correctly? From everything I've told you so far about Sonny's, what do you think? Incidentally, if you're thinking of following in my wobbly footsteps, don't. Trevor's just told me the Chinese authorities are cracking down on these Hong Kong visa runs, so make sure you sort out the correct visa before you go. Not like me. Party power slow. See you next time on Party in China, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.